0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your
1: offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Oh, hey, what's up? We're going to start the show in just a second. But first, wow, people are going crazy for Literati, the number one book club for
0: kids. Wendy tweeted, just got a subscription for my nine year old nephew who loves to read. Awesome sponsors,
1: mama. Travis Bones' nephews. We were on FaceTime. My nephew Emmett ran and got his book and came and showed it to us on camera. They send him stickers so he can label his book so it's his book and not his little brother's book. That is adorable. I I know it.
0: And think of you're in quarantine, you're running out of ideas, and they can keep the ones they love, send back the ones that they don't. Yes. And how important is that right now? Delivered right to your doorstep safely, right? No more scrolling online trying to find the perfect
1: gift. Parents have got enough things to worry about right now.
0: Yes, and reading books as a family creates a sense of adventure, bonding, whatever, and will keep you from going crazy in quarantine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites. Send the rest back for free. Literati.com slash Stephanie, 25% off your first two subscriptions. Best offer available anywhere. Go to L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I dot slash Stephanie. 25% off your first two subscriptions. Literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters. Relentlessly fighting back against the
1: clown dictator and his regime of deplorable. Never give up. Never surrender. This is The Bob Zeska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, June 3, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. So for today's Encore interview, we're going to rewind to April when I spoke with political scientist Rachel Biddecoffer about her electoral model for 2020 and the concept of negative partisanship. In case you don't know, in 2018, her election forecast nailed the outcome of the midterms. Oh, and you might also be familiar with her work for the Niskanen Center, or you might have seen Rachel on a recent episode of Real Time with Bill Maher, as well as The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Oh, and don't forget to support this show by subscribing to our bonus content on our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here comes an encore of my chat with the doc, Rachel Biddecoffer. Hello, it's Rachel. Oh, hey, Rachel. <laughs>
0: Hey, how are you? <laughs>
1: great, great. I wasn't sure if that was voicemail. It sounded a little bit like voicemail. So I was like <laughs> Yeah,
0: it did sound weird. I yeah, also I was I had just uncovered this like really astounding like jaw-droppingly bad analysis from Nate Cohen and it had me so flustered that i was a little bit off like literally i was like just discovering it in the seconds before the phone rang. So oh tell me a, me a little float off. <laughs> tell me tell me about
1: what nate cohen has to say right now
0: right now he he has just put out of an analysis where he is claiming that biden is um that trump is gaining ground among amongst non-white voters and make and, the, and i shit you not makes this quote in the article that i'm only had times to, to like literally scan before the phone rang oh my god and i found this quote that says quote non-white voters were conspicuously absent from the resistance surge in democratic turnout during trump era special elections and general elections which of course you know if you follow my research you would know is demonstrably wrong i mean it's a yeah. it's a definitely wrong statement Absolutely, uh, and uh, you know I'm about ready to go and fucking destroy him on Twitter but of course I'm going to record this podcast with uh, you <laughs> oh I can't wait I
1: have something to look forward to after we're done here um, no
0: shit, because you know, Nate Cohen would know that that statement was demonstrably wrong if he could reduce <laughs> himself to following me, and I think I'm going to just say that. Did he know? not
1: see the South Carolina voting results? Did he not see what happened?
0: Uh, well, right. I mean, well, obviously he didn't read my vote, my voter file analysis, right? right Which right. is, you know. I mean, it's the
1: voters, too. It's not a survey, right? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. My God. Well, you know, Rachel, uh, let's jump in right here. You know, for a couple of years after the 2016 election, I was struggling to figure out how our electoral paradigm had changed as of 2016-ish, causing so many of us to uh, completely misread Hillary Clinton's chances in that election. And then I heard about you and your model, and, oh, my God, it was revelatory. Um, Tell me about how you first came to build that model realizing in part that most of the political experts we're dealing with antiquated assumptions about elections.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the main things I think that I am trying to get people to understand is that we are in this era of polarization mm-hmm. and hyperpartisanship, and that you know we can't look back to Bill Clinton's victory in nineteen ninety two or you know mm-hmm. what happened under the Reagan math in the in the nineteen eighty election when the economy and um, hyperinflation and the Iran uh, hostage crisis came and you know, hit a incumbent president running for re-election. Polarization has had such an impact on the way that um, Americans engage politically and behave yeah. that if you don't account for those things, you're going to be missing a big chunk of the story and you're going to be caught, you know, frankly, for lack of a better um you know, a uh, way to imagine it uh, with your pants down, which is what happened in 2016.
1: I mean, obviously there was uh, maybe a level of complacency, don't you think, in 2016, where maybe the Democrats were a little bit too comfortable to take Trump seriously as a possible winner. I mean, I was thinking the danger of Trump as president, as, as I was looking at it in 2016, far outweighed whatever the polls had been saying about, well, don't don't worry. I mean, at one point, I think Hillary Clinton's odds, according to Nate Silver, were somewhere around 96% as far as uh, whether she was going to win that election. And obviously, it didn't turn out that way. Um, what was it specifically about that election that drove uh, Trump's victory? I mean, again, apart from some of the impediments that were thrown into the mix, like Russia and voter suppression, things like right, that. Right. I mean, what was the thing that drove Donald Trump to, to, to overtake Hillary in Electoral College?
0: So I'm glad you're asking me this question now and not, um, at the time period before the 2018 midterms, yeah. because now I understand something different about, um, what's possible with the electorate than I did before.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so what happened in 2016 was, you know, you understood the threat because you are not a typical person. You are in fact like a super califragilistically non-typical person. <laughs> you are super engaged, super <laughs> informed. You are, um, you know, the, probably a really for, poor frame of reference for making, you know, percept, perceiving the uh, broader electorate from. Yeah.
2: Yep. So,
0: um, you know, in terms of like the overall atmosphere, most. Of the voters that were you know, On the left side of the spectrum Had a, a real sense of complacency They um, expected Number one that Donald Trump could not win mm-hmm. And of course there was lots of polling and, and modeling to suggest that That was true but also they had Forgotten what it was like to be in the opposition They mm-hmm. had been living for eight years Under Obama's tenure and Seeing favorable Supreme Court judges Get elected and, and the worst Policies you know not advanced And although they may not and they had not been Enjoying great policy victories, of course, many of them did not understand it wasn't because Obama was a um, corrupt corporatist. It's because the system yeah, institutionally is, is got a bias towards inaction, especially when it has a adversary um, who has pushed out the bounds of, of normalcy in terms of institutional conduct.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, we're looking at what I call like nitpicky. Um, and being just much more complacent and, um, you know, looking at things like uh, Hillary's record on, on Wall Street and corporate things like that, and not just not feeling engaged and inspired by her in a way that they wouldn't have if, say, she had been running after out, uh, Democrats had been locked out of the White House for yeah. uh, four or eight years. Okay? That's an t- entirely different perspective. Same candidate, different perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, like i'm blaming voters there but the truth is i blame the campaigns i blame um not just specifically the clinton campaign not the candidate the campaign around the candidate uh, but also the entire atmosphere and and consultant like you know uh, class of the democratic party which just does a terrible job at least up until now of creating the kind of environment in which voters feel agitated and freaked out and i mentioned that what i learned from the 2018 cycle is that that can be done you can Mm -hmm. make what be a pretty complacent population agitated and freaked out because we just watched the republican party do that in the 2018 cycle they had full control of government and by all um you know estimations they should have felt comfortable in that cycle and although they got um hammered in the house They could have lost more ground, uh, the Georgia governorship, um, a governorship in Florida, and um, some additional ground. But they, because ultimately, instead of having their turnout recede the way Democratic turnout did while Obama was in office, Republican turnout actually increased. And that was a product of the strategies and campaign electioneering system that was deployed by the Republican Party.
1: What was the role in that election of third party candidates like Jill Stein? And what drove some of those Obama voters to switch over to Donald Trump? It just seemed like such a weird fit to me.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, some of it was anger about the um, failure of the, um, you know, Bernie Sanders campaign to win. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, you know, that... That is also uh, reflected not by just voters who voted for Trump, actually, yeah. but voters who voted for third party or didn't vote at all. And, and that's quite a big group when you factor in all three of those um, you know, options of, of, of expression of dis- dissatisfaction, right? And yeah. so like, when we think about who are those people, well, you think about people to vote for Trump, having supported Sanders, generally speaking, they're – Anti-institution, right? Mm -hmm. um, Anti-establishment types. Um, you know, you have to be able to disregard a lot of particular issues to get to the point where you're willing to cast a ballot for Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so most of the people who are passionate about progressive causes are, go- you know, sh- show their displeasure in a different way. And so we're talking about a lot of independents, what I call pure independents, uh, people who don't lean towards one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And of them, many of them are what we call what I call change voters. So that They're anti status quo. And so, you know, Sanders um, in the Democratic primary reflected a change from the status quo. And then when the option became status quo Clinton versus uh, anti status quo Donald Trump, they were willing to do that. But, um, you know, as as important as those um, Obama to Trump voters were, and many of them were those pure independent um, anti status quo change shifters. Uh, the also in equally important um, ultimate you know deciders of those swing states were the people who voted third party or voted um, by not voting at all, and those people had just as much effect on that two party uh, outcome, uh, and the third party voting especially, which was five to six times higher than normal, coming in at six points in Wisconsin in a race that came down no. to less than one point between Clinton and Trump. So we really cannot uh, over state uh, how important that third-party balloting was and why it was such a failure of the Clinton campaign not to direct Hillary Clinton to deal with um, like uh, bringing in the other faction of the party, that progressive wing, uh, through a unity ticket, so somebody um, who would reach out to that progressive base. It didn't have to be the um, person that um, represented that the group, Bernie Sanders, but it needed to be some kind of olive branch to show that progressive wing Ideologically, that she was hearing them and, and planned to represent them, and that mm-hmm. never happened because the um, old model started this conversation about did, doesn't re- really recognize, um, you know, the differences now between, you know, ideology and, and how the um, party's bases have become very ideological and aren't necessarily willing just to, to go along to get along
1: anymore. And, and, you know, just out of curiosity, I wanted to ask you where you come down on. Russia's influence in 2016. Did that change enough minds to swing that election? Is that a a serious factor that we should maybe take a stronger look at um, as far as the overall influence on the end result of the election?
0: That was absolutely an important element. um, When I was writing my 2016 book and documenting the role that that third section vote played in You know, allowing Trump to kind of thread the needle in those swing states. I mean, keeping in mind the uh, story I've told you of Wisconsin in which 6 percent of the vote went to third party candidates, Mm -hmm. allowing Trump to win with a plurality and not a majority and creating a situation where he won by less than one point is a is a story that replicates throughout all of the swing states, aside from two of them, Ohio and Iowa. Those are the only two states, swing states that Trump, you could say, won over and won over. Over 50 percent. The rest of them are states in which that third-party voting was consequential. And when we think about, like, at the time, I knew that Russian propaganda had targeted two groups: black voters to play up, um, you know, suspicions about Clinton's role yep. in the crime bill formation, even though she didn't have a formal role, and um, you know, try to suppress black voters. And then I knew that they had targeted progressives to get them to defect. But I had not yet seen. The uh, particular advertising that was used, and that Senate report had not come out yet. And when it did, it did not surprise me at all to see that the ads, um, you know, were geared exactly towards, um, you know, playing into that fractious division. Yep. And you know, those same techniques are going to be copied now by the Parscale team, who is uh, uh, Trump's campaign manager, and by the uh, Republican National Committee, who are planning on, um, you know, adapting basically this, you know, Russian playbook of oh, propaganda, yeah. misinformation and disinformation and so you know you have this disaffected group of sanders people you have an establishment nominee and they will um be putting out things that you know you know oh look biden's a, a serial sexual predator oh biden is a you know secret corporatist and he's mm. going to do all these terrible things yeah. i mean oftentimes too it just takes a little bit of rumor because it's um about confirmation bias right so if i'm already yeah. uh you know very uh stringently uh supportive of, of sanders and and progressive politics and then i hear like i see a tweet or a Facebook post about how Biden's considering a Republican for a key cabinet post that feeds right into my uh, confirmed biases right yeah. and so I'm going to believe it right away I'm going to share it right away and the damages are already done so that's the type of very discreet um, sabotage that I'm expecting about a 20 million dollar outlay. I'm talking about a very significant effort on the Republican side because they can't beat um, Democrats this time Off of, I mean, they didn't technically, it's the same way they won in 2016. They have to replicate that condition because Trump cannot crack 50%. So they are going to spend a, a great deal of effort on trying to get the progressive side to beat itself.
1: Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know what? There are two sources. There are two things that I'm looking at right now as far as the landscape for 2020. The first thing, obviously, is your electoral model. The other thing is a profile that McKay Coppins wrote. Uh, I want to say it was for The Atlantic, but I could be wrong, about Brad Parscale's Death Star in in Roslyn, Virginia. The big question that I have is, are they still running that disinformation operation in Roslyn for Trump? Or did they all just go home for a while because of the quarantining and so on? So I, I'm curious. I, I need some sort of follow up from someone in terms of what Brad Parscale is up to these days as to whether or not he's continuing that effort, because it's a... Uh, Oh well, yes,
0: absolutely. And spending, like I said, they've been working for two years on this infrastructure under no. the assumption that Trump would be or uh, Sanders would probably not uh win the nomination. And this is um the most viable path they have. Now it hung uh very too on on Green Party in- Party type uh candidate access on ballots. Mm-hmm. So they were and have been supporting essentially green party and independent candidate and third party candidate um, economically uh, helping them um, obtain ballot access, mm. uh, funding, petition drives, and so on and so forth. And I expect quite a lot of economic support in places where they were successful on putting those candidates on. Um, Montana um, is one of the, but there are quite a few swing states where the pandemic disrupted that effort. And I think, At least this far, there is not a Green Party candidate on the
1: ballot. I see. Well, let's dig into your model here. How did that all come about? Where did you land on negative partisanship and how that would impact this new paradigm for elections that we're looking at now?
0: Yeah so um the, the reason really is because I am um a trained political scientist that took time to go and earn a PhD and you know that involves deep theoretical training along um exposure and, and and time period learning the literature mm-hmm. that drives political science and and a training to create new theory right because it's one thing to to be able to read and um current political science research and and, um, you know, create uh, it and bring it to the public, popularize it in, in a way that's digestible for the public to read. But it's quite another to have received the training to create and move um, theory forward. Yeah. And so that's really the advantage that I had. And, you know, through that training, I identified the role that, you know, the composition of the electorate played in election outcomes. I mean, if every, if polarization has caused this, this system where, you know, we, we can tell them a- or who people are going to vote for based on their race, gender, age, religion, so on and so forth. And then we know that party ID is, you know, 90% plus predictive of their vote choice. Then identifying where they are and what motivates them to vote um, gives you an edge in predicting election outcomes in a way that, you know, if, if you're willing to look at things in a new way. So that's that's how I was able to um, understand election of Donald which was going to cause this latent demographic that Democrats have had sitting there kind of a decade under Obama, not really flexing, uh, especially in these off-year elections, to explode. And uh, that's why I was able to in- identify for months ahead even the ones, I mean, the, there was quite a few districts that were quite obviously going to be competitive because Clinton carried in the 2016 election mm-hmm. under a lower turnout model And a Republican held the seat. Those were, you know, fairly obvious. And and I understood those are so those are so competitive now that in that low model, they they went for Clinton. So they're definitely going to flip. Right. And then there's another group of seats that Trump technically carried, but only because Democrats were lazy about voting, and they have these Democratic pools that were not exercising, you know, their power, and now they're going to be. And so that's why I was um board.
1: What did you predict as far as the uh, the net pickup for the uh, House Democrats? It was the exact number, right? Wasn't it 40, 41, right around in that range?
0: Yeah, so I had said that Democrats would pick up 42 seats in the House. They picked gotcha. up 40. Uh, the 41st seat would would have been— Nebraska's second uh, district, a realigning district with a high rate of college education in, um, you know, the urban area. It had um, a uh, the Democratic had preferred candidate and instead like a more sanders take uh, progressive one it's very rare that that happens in fact i think it was the only candidate in 2018 in one of their you know top line districts that did that and so they were the party responded in a, in the old model which is okay what matters is the candidate right mm-hmm, yeah. to me what matters i mean the candidates can help right but what predominantly matters is the conditions like on the district And so once they didn't have the candidate they wanted, because she supported Medicare for all, they decided she's unelectable here. And, you know, my model said, no, 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 that's one of the top in the nation. You should spend money there. So they bailed on her, and she still ended up almost flipping the district. It was within, you know, a point and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and it performed about as well as the other races, by the way, that had had Democratic establishment candidates that had been monetarily supported, same electoral uh, two-party vote margin in previous cycles. Okay, so if they had invested, they probably would have slipped that seat. And then the other one was North Carolina nine, the original version, <laughs> which yeah. of course had that Republican sabotage. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah. So you know, I mean, save those two, it might have been right on.
1: Your model is driven by voters' desire to. More or less punish the other side, right? That's the kind of the simplistic explanation of negative partisanship, right? Talk about negative partisanship in terms of how that's now the primary animating factor behind voter preferences.
0: Yeah, so it's about punishing the other side, and it's about um, fear, Right. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's, it is about punishment, but it's also about survival. So, you know, that's, a, I think, especially salient now to people as we're living through this pandemic and we're at the mercy of Trump's navigation of it, management of it, which would be, which is wholly different than what we would get from um, certainly from a democratic president, but even from a different Republican, think like Larry Hogan could be the president, very different yeah. management for mm-hmm. this pandemic. Right. Yeah. Um, and so um yeah so um, you know when we think about fear, it's fear, it's about like, okay, if I don't get out there and vote, like everything's gonna you know fall apart <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I have to vote because my life depends on it mm-hmm. so negative partisanship is hate, it's about you know, gotta hate these people, oh, they're <sighs> awful, but also it's about. Self-preservation.
1: Do you uh, worry that negative partisanship is bad for the overall landscape for American politics?
0: Oh, no, it's terrible. I mean, you know, the, it's all terrible, but yeah, everything yeah. that we're going through is terrible. And I can't possibly reiterate enough, you know, we're not approaching problems here in American politics that's that was quaint five years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. And the, I knew we were going to be headed into some ter- ter- rough terrain and I think like the general scholarly community that, you know, studied polarization felt very, very dismal about the future. As dismal as we were, and we and I was definitely a member of Team Doom even back then, <laughs> where we are today is infinitesimally worse than I could have predicted five years ago. Um, we are way past L- all the lines that I would have thought we could cross as a country. And we are in, we are um, well into institutional failure. So, you know, people should understand that. So, uh, you know, the focus on issues or specific things like climate change is, uh, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but more imminent is the actual, um, I guess I would say, uh, failure of the country.
1: Yeah, yeah. Are we covering the decline? Is that what we're doing as political scientists, as observers of all of this? Is this is this something that is cyclical, or is are we on the downslope as the United States, as our form of government stands right now? Um, where are we in terms of that timeline? Um,
0: yeah, no, we are in full-blown red alert crisis right now. Yeah. And in terms of are we covering it, no. I mean, you might be, so like a yeah. podcast and, you know, more niche media. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the day-to-day news, NBC, New York Times-type news, those are focused on stories, this event, that event, but the context is generally lost. So, like, for example, you could be watching the coverage every day about COV-19 and you would never realize that the United States has the, by far, the worst outbreak in the world, that our outbreak is infinitesimally worse than everybody else's, yeah. because that context is regurgitated and refined or, like, re-delivered for the audience every day. Mm-hmm. So, like, you you could easily have no, as an American, have no idea that, like, around the world, you know, they're not having 50,000 people die, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, we are doing very, very poor poorly right so that I mentioned that because like the institutional collapse problem we don't talk about that's not getting talked about at all in the news now during the specific flare-ups like when the Senate didn't vote to allow evidence in the impeachment trial there's some like dusting around that area but you don't see like for the American audience nobody out there saying hey taken collectively this last year you know, this, 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 and this means that the American, you know, exper- experiment is actually on its last legs, that we have lost um, basically the institutional norms that used to exist in the Senate. And we have entered institutional failure, you know, so I, I think most Americans are actually uh, completely unaware of how severe yeah. the, demo, like, um, you know, in terms of thinking about, like, what where, where could we look back in, we could look back at, at the time period right before the Civil War, when stand to call succession and you know before the shots begin for the civil war we are in a very similarly institutionally very precarious position like we are then
1: yeah it's it's nearly impossible to get that message out because it's hard to verbalize just how damaging it is every time donald trump opens his mouth every time he does something every time he says something it's all chipping away At the system,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think some of it is an aversion to 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 admitting, oh my God, like Rome's Mm -hmm. on fire. But more, it's actually that the media system, a journalist who are trained, not the fake media that's you know proliferates the internet world, but the ones that actually have gone through journalism school and been trained and are working (laughs) as journalists. Right? They are taught, you know, they are cultured into this. culture of nonpartisan coverage, right? Mm, right? And so in order to to properly cover how abnormal Trump's behavior is, how how atypical, how anti American, how abhorrent it is, they that takes you into where where many journalists would feel that they're engaged in partisan commentary yeah, right yeah. because it involves parties right so um that that's what that's an unfortunate it's unfortunate because if it wasn't for that cultural moray we would not be where we are right now but it's mm-hmm. it's a major enabling factor as to like why republicans are able to do what they're doing in the senate why they're able to do um, you know what they were able to do in the house in the um 20 20- election process. And now what's happening with Donald
1: Trump? Okay, we're going to pause here for just one second to talk about Omaha steaks. And you know, if you're looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, Omaha steaks can help you. Uh, After all, what does dad really want for Father's Day? He wants meat, beef, lots and lots of beef. And for a limited time, you can find a variety of packages filled with beautiful Omaha steaks, plus other premium meats, side dishes, artisan desserts, and so much more, all ideal for Dad's special day. These packages come flash-frozen, vacuum-sealed, and delivered in a cooler with dry ice safely to his door. That means fresher than fresh, all backed by Omaha Steak's unconditional 100% money-back guarantee. It's a simple, delicious way to treat Dad this Father's Day, and you're giving him something he will actually enjoy. Beef, tons of beef. Right now, Omaha Steaks is offering access to a variety of amazing packages that are perfect to send dad for Father's Day. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code LIBERAL in the search bar. You'll see all of the great options available, many that include free shipping and a free one-pound package of their perfectly cured, incredibly thick, applewood-smoked steak-cut bacon. Visit OmahaStakes.com, enter the code LIBERAL in the search bar to shop for Father's Day today. Remember to enter the code LIBERAL in the search bar at OmahaStakes.com. The Bob Seska Show! Well, let's talk about 2020 here, and before we dive into what your forecast is showing at this point, I always have to caution my listeners, don't get happy. I have this uh, maybe irrational fear that Democrats tend to get complacent driving down turnout, And, you know, even uh, despite my admiration for your model, I'm still deeply concerned that Trump is going to ride his various cheats to a second term. So that said, I I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're forecasting 278 electoral votes for the Democratic presidential ticket, Joe Biden and question mark uh, with Florida, North Carolina, Iowa and Arizona as swing states. But even if all four go for Trump, Biden still wins, according to your model. Talk about how you landed on this electoral total uh, per your model.
0: Yeah, so that model's now, I think, like 289, because I pushed Uh, Arizona to uh, flipping to to the Democrats. Interesting. That came out after um, Biden became the nominee, and it was clear that the Democratic Party would be not running uh, two campaigns, a referendum on Trump and a referendum on, on capitalism. So um, the uh, model now has 289 votes. And the reason is it's modeled same as my uh, midterm and my upcoming Congress forecast, which comes out next week. And, again, it's interested in where are, you know, what's the demographics of these states, the cities within them, the suburbs around them. Um, And, you know, what happened in 2016 was a function of a certain atmosphere that's no longer valid, and, you know, the um, third party voting as well. Now, the the one weakness to my model so, um, my model assumes the Democratic coalition, which is um, Democrats and independents together um, voting for Biden to beat Trump. It, that's a boat that's rowing in one direction, and all the oars are moving uh, together in that direction. And that direction is trying to beat Trump. Uh, the one weakness is that if the Republican sabotage efforts of trying to weaponize progressives against themselves, to you know, basically, to if if, if Trump was to win here, it would. Um, I mean, any progressive president in the future would be stymied. The Supreme Court that will be con- controlled by conservatives for yeah. a, a generation. I mean, you know, it, it, these court picks, there'll be two new conservatives. It will be a 7-2 majority. It would be locked in forever. I mean, mm-hmm. basically, right? So even if you could elect a, a more progressive president in the future, the progressive agenda is dead. So, and imagine the, the laughs that the GOP would have if they manage to convince progressives to do this to themselves. Yeah. So, you know, just keep that in mind uh, if you're Oof. hearing this, this podcast and, <laughs> and uh, know that that's the one weakness in my model.
1: Yeah, that's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying, because as I was saying, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, you take all the Jill Stein votes and you apply those to Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton wins those states. Or I think there was another analysis shortly after 2016 that showed that a lot of Bernie Sanders voters voted for Donald Trump in those three states enough to also swing those states to Donald Trump. So the margin of bernie voters flipping and and voting for donald trump you take those votes give them to hillary clinton hillary clinton also wins so you combine jill stein's votes with the bernie voters who went for trump and then hillary clinton would be president right now ostensibly i still think she would have been impeached in the first year for the emails but take that aside uh, oh yes and uh, yeah yeah,
0: keep in mind too it
1: would have been fully impeachable offense yeah they would have absolutely (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) And there definitely would have been witnesses at the trial. Oh, you know? <laughs> no doubt.
1: No doubt at all.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it would help if progressive media could spend some time talking about the opposition, yeah.
1: you know? <laughs> God, exactly. Yeah. You're so right. So how has, the, how has the coronavirus changed your forecast, if at all? I mean, do you see this as a uh, shock to the system that you warned against in your model?
0: No, I mean, you know, here's the thing. I did say that there could be shocks to the system. None of them meant that it would help Trump.
1: <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know?
0: right, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, in some pr- people and circumstance, a shock like this could help, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but Trump is, um, you know, a terrible manager. He, I mean, he's doing even worse than I would have predicted he could do on yeah. on a crisis like this because he's sabotaging his own recovery um, by, you know, advocating this reopen early strategy, which is bound to backfire on him, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the testing strategy, which he just refuses to do. So the, um, you know, but here's the thing, like I said, you know, it's a different world. It's not 1992. You don't win elections with, there's not these wide swaths of people out there,
2: Mm.
0: Um, you know, so maybe it, it makes a few more pure independents, You know, my guess limit was about 30% of, of, you know, the Obama to Trump voters have buyer's remorse. Yeah, because they're change voters anyway, and and you know, now Trump's the status quo, and the status quo sucks, and now it really sucks, yeah, right? Yeah. So in that regard, I think we've probably built that up to 50%. So,
1: yeah, I was discussing with uh, Tom Nichols on Twitter the other day whether or not Trump's daily press conferences, I've been re- just referring to it as the Trump show, how does that um, influence the outcome of the election, if at all? Is that is that helping Trump? Is it hurting Trump, the fact that he's so visible now across most networks every day?
0: Um, you know, it, it, it's here's the thing. I've I been, been putting out this graph from The Economist. It shows Trump and you know ten, 20, uh, a dozen other world leaders, and it shows public opinion. We are so screwed up in the in the United States that there has been no reaction to this massive political stimulus, which is you know a, a pandemic, a once in a century pandemic, which yep. shut down the entire country. And, you know, brought in Great Depression style unemployment and economic collapse. And all the other countries, you can see the public react to this event. Mm -hmm. Not in the U.S. The line is flat. Yeah. Something is very, very wrong here. (laughs) Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no like doubt, are, right? We
0: are a sick, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we have a very bad sickness going on in the American public, so.
1: In fact, I think that was evidenced in that uh, Donald Trump didn't get the same kind of spike that someone like George W. Bush received after 9-11. Uh, he got a little bit of a bump. No, he bump.
0: Got no spike. Yeah, No, yeah. he got basically no spike. And, and what I'm telling you is, in every other place in the world, people either got more popular or less. Okay. yeah, Donald Trump's line basically doesn't move. Hmm. It's as if a pandemic (laughs) never happened. That's right. I mean, that's people need to think about what that means. right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're a people collectively, 330 million of us that can't even respond to a massive political stimuli. It's and it's unique Mm -hmm. in the whole world. Were the only ones,
1: and I get the sense that Democrats gave Donald Trump a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than he deserved, at least temporarily. Because I, you know, I did see a, a short bump of maybe five points somewhere in there, and it was, no, it
0: was just uh, the right leaning independents, the ones that have, uh, you know, we're at fifty two percent basically who wanted to impeach him. Yeah. it was those three or four percent of people. That came back for three days. But again, when you're talking about a crisis like this, uh, this type of rally around the flag effect, a two or three point minor minor hitch up, it could be statistical noise.
1: Well, that makes me feel a little yeah. better because because I was wondering, like, who are these Democrats who are still willing to say at least for a couple of days yeah, he's doing a pretty good job. It was just staggering to me, given the entire well, history to of all this. Keep
0: in mind, stuff. too, like a lot of the times when you see that deviation, it's the question wording. So if the question yeah. said, "Does the, is the government doing well, you're going to see a reaction. If it says specifically Donald Trump, like with polling, there's so many little nuances that you need to look at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately. That, you know, not a me around to tell every every viewer or every listener. You know, mm-hmm. this is a poll that you should even bother to look at because I got to tell you, eighty percent of them that come across your radar, you shouldn't even look at the data. Right. Okay, and that and that stuff you could see on TV,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like that other analyst would sit there and give you a, a five minute rundown on. <laughs> so you know,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, or
0: at least like the way that they're using the data. Like, that is inappropriate, right? Yeah. Statistically. Yeah. So, you
1: know. Let me ask you this, Rachel. Is anyone from the Democratic Party calling you to get advice? Because uh, I, I hope they are.
0: Yeah, not yet. No, nobody's called me. I, uh, you know, I, I I give a lot of uh, campaign advice out on my Twitter so I don't know if no one's listening, but mm. certainly nobody's ever called.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you actually, I noticed that you were uh, chatting with Bill Shear this morning about Tammy Baldwin as a possible uh, running mate for Joe Biden. Uh, first of all, is that, did I read that accurately? It was the first thing this morning that no. I checked it out, or... Yeah, not
0: me. Oh, okay. No, I, I advocate only, only for two uh, nominees here on the VP list, and that would be either Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris. And that's because I understand in the modern world, what you want to do is maximize turnout of young people and deal with the uh, lack of um, ideological representation currently on the ticket because Biden's a moderate. So you want to have a liberal on the ticket. And, um, you know, you got a woman, so that's a that's a gimme. Mm-hmm. And, but you really do want to have racial diversity in the modern-day Democratic Party. Yeah. And it really just does in, to no end baffle me how often um, it's always my fellow white um, – Bill is not this uh, – Bill is actually advocating for Kamala Harris as well. I want to make that clear. Oh, I see. Okay. But usually the people who are um, advocating for the Klobuchar's or the um, other white um, – running mates, and it could even be Warren, are usually white people, and it's because they don't, you know, I just think they don't understand, like, okay, look, if you're not white, like – it, it, this is the most diverse party in the history of the country.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like they want to have representation, damn it. <laughs> yeah. The ticket, like mm-hmm. you got to have it. Yeah. And didn't <laughs> Clyburn?
1: Know? I mean, they, yeah. I think part of Clyburn's endorsement uh, right before South Carolina yeah. involved yeah. Joe Biden selecting an African American woman as his running mate. You know, I don't know yeah. if that was an yeah. explicit part of the deal, but that was certainly implied by Clyburn. I think, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. I, I call him like my, my Clyburn clutch because, like, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's a, it's a. It's you know what it is though it's a Jesus party <laughs> yeah. problem is what I call it. I mean the whole problem with the Democratic Party is is what I call the Jesus problem because it's a. Uh Forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do, right? <laughs> because what they do isn't about corporatism or, you know, protecting donors or or the bullshit that the progressives think, think it is. It's because they think what they're doing is maximizing the probability of winning. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're using old school 1990s formulas for how to do that. Okay? Yeah. So they think what they're doing is like the smart, savvy, strategic, intellectual thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why I call it the Jesus problem, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but if you don't, so if you don't understand now, you know, and what's frustrating to me is like all you need to do is look at the other party and say, okay, how are these people winning elections, especially given that there's less of them, mm-hmm. and yet they're winning consistently in these competitive elections, and and how are they doing it? Oh, they're running their electioneering this way. Yeah. We're running our electioneering that way they're getting way better returns on investment. What are we doing wrong? Oh, I see. We're doing this, 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 and this. So what I'm arguing for Democrats to do isn't all that revolutionary because the party's already doing it and has been doing it for, you know, well over a decade to great success.
1: Does it make you want to tear your hair out when you see people talking about vice presidential potentials or or hopefuls in terms of geography? Is that something that is maybe the most outdated uh, uh, selection criteria? Yeah,
0: anytime I hear somebody talking about another white moderate vice president pick, that is, you know, the out, I mean, this idea that, you know, if you, but here's the thing. Nancy Pelosi because the consulting class is outdated, and they've told her. I mean, she she it's not her fault. She's not a she's not a, a election analyst, okay. So she's relying on these consultants, and they have told her perceptionally that these 40 House seats are going to flip because we're going to focus only on health care. We're not going to talk about Donald Trump because we don't want to isolate Republican voters because that's our bread and butter because these districts have been held by Republicans for a long time, and therefore the only way we can flip them is to get Republicans to cross over and vote for us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a tidy story, but it's, it's, it's wrong. Okay, it's right. mathematically, demographically wrong, and I have shown in that uh, voter file analysis – Exactly how and in what ways it's wrong. Not for aren't suburban, realigned Republicans. Mm. Most of them realigned prior to 2016 when the party first started to embrace stupid, though. Okay? <laughs> the people who have hung in, in there 2016 on, they're true believers. They may, at the polite social circles, pretend that they're embarrassed by this guy. That they voted for him and his party in 2018. Yeah. Because, you know, the surge patterns that I uncover in these voter file analyses are very clear. They show, you know, in these suburban areas that we have these generational changes because now we've got 40 year old millennials. Mm-hmm. These are the people that own these suburban homes now, these are the people raising kids in the suburbs. And they are predominantly less leaning. They may be independents, they might be Democrats and they were lazy about voting, and yep. now they are not. Hmm. And some of them are white, but some of them are not white because those two generations, the millennial and Gen Z generations, are the two most diverse generations and best-educated generations on the planet. Yeah. Well, okay? And you got to talk to them. If you want to keep winning elections, those are bread and butter, right? Right now, like even the subpar strategy that Democrats ran in 18 – without framing a message like on trump and and Spiel and i on his podcast laugh and joke about the lunacy of running in a referendum cycle and not making it the theme a referendum on the incumbent intentionally like telling your door knockers don't talk about donald trump and like, how loony that is that yeah. only democrats would come up with something like that <laughs> That subpar strategy. Yeah. There is a surge, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, but that's going to go away, like especially if if Trump gets tossed here in twenty and Biden becomes the president, that energy that's feeding that natural surge is going to go away. So the party has a long term, like they better be thinking about how to defend those forty seats in twenty twenty two.
2: Yeah, because yeah. twenty
0: twenty is not a problem. Twenty twenty two is going to be a problem. Oh god. Yeah. They, and they think and they think it's because they've got these pools of republican voters so to them they look at this you know how do i win the election well i've got to get republicans to vote for me it's so interesting to me that in any public opinion poll you'll see the biggest group are independents the second biggest group are democrats or vice versa they always the smallest group unless you're in the south or a big republican state or the republicans okay mm-hmm. Yet they don't structure their electoral campaigns around the idea of having to win over Democrats. So how do they win elections all the time if they aren't making their um, campaign plan around getting Democrats to vote for them? That's right. When they have less people to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it, it, like, even at the you know at the very service level, it, there's a glaring warning to like what's going on there. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, it's frustrating to me. Because you know, there's no added value to putting Amy Klobuchar in the ticket, and it leaves that leftward flank that I said is going to get targeted by um, this misinformation and disinformation completely vulnerable to that. Yeah. Because there's no, you know, there's no ideological representation to them, and then you know, I'm I'm picking on Nate Cohen for making this just outrageous complaint <laughs> or um, um, claim saying that there's been no turnout surge of non-white voters since Trump, which is just bullshit, okay? Mm, it's just, yeah. there's, I mean, if you ever read my research, you would know I quantitatively show that those surges are lower, but they're there, okay? Mm-hmm. And you, what you want to do is make sure in 2020 that, you know, non-white voters, young voters, those things are, 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 are together, because, like I said, those are diverse generations, show up. And you, and you got Joe Biden as the nominee. You can't get a more boring nominee. Like, there's not one that exists on the planet Earth that's going to be more boring than Joe Biden. I love the I man. Yeah. But I'm not the voter you're trying to get. That's right. You're trying to get a 22-year-old or a 28-year-old that's tuned out. You've got to give them a reason to show up.
1: God, and you're so not right. going
0: to do it with Amy Klobuchar, for God's sake, you
1: know? I, you know, I just feel like if the Democrats were better at marketing, if the Democrats were as good as the Republicans are at marketing, they would become the permanent ruling majority in this country. Yes. But they're, they're so yes, terrible. They're definitely. so terrible at messaging. Why why are the Democrats so terrible at messaging, Rachel?
0: I don't know, but, I'm you know, <laughs> I would love for the phone to ring yeah, so me that too. I could have that conversation because... You know, here's the thing. Like, I, you know, I'll get hit back with things like these old adages. Well, I'm not a member of an organized party. I'm a Democrat. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. And it was fine and dandy back in the days. But the other party has declared war on you. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can't afford to be a disorganized mess anymore. And, and you know who really can't afford it? The people who are depending on you to win. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, so This is now, for many, many people, life or death. Mm-hmm. literally mm. so you know i don't think it's been like the way to be a disorganized mess and it's because you know you your co- coalition is group interest and it's less conducive to organ bullshit anything can be organized <laughs>
2: right
1: okay yeah. rachel yeah. we have facts science math we have all the creative people we have this huge treasure trove of creative people in hollywood and new york we have all the funny people that matter we're great at hooking people into television shows to binge watch but we can't seem to create a sellable long-term message, and it's driving me batshit. I don't know why that is, especially especially now when you got and a big chunk of money. I'm meat. definitely
0: of the camp that yes, we can. Right? Remember Obama? Right. Yep. Yes, yep. we can. I
1: exactly. think
0: the Democratic Party can do these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you and you know how it. I know it because unless they got Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg, two amazing candidates with a massive infrastructure. And lots of reasons to hang into a race, to drop out prior to Super Tuesday. They were the nomination, right? The party mm-hmm. establishment. And yet they managed to make that happen. Yeah. And that that took a strategic thinking, B, organization. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like those right. are things that the party, you know, has never done before, and they did it. Mm-hmm. They can do it. I know they can, right? And yeah. you know, I know Sanders people Think it was the most awful thing ever, but let me assure you this: you know, having a situation where half of your Senate and House candidates are running two elections—one against Trump and probably poorly, as we have discussed—and B against, uh, a so, you know, running against socialism you are probably going to get, you know, you're probably going to lose electoral ground.
1: Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the future of this uh, idiocracy in terms of, the, uh, of Trumpism as a movement? Do you think it survives Trump or that it goes away when Trump goes away?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of people in 2016 would, would, would hit back at, at me, certainly when I would say, look, if, if Hillary Clinton doesn't win, like this, this, and this is going to happen. oh, I don't yeah. care, you know, let it burn. Well, Ugh. here we are. Yeah. Ships on fire. Right. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, was, it was those 50, either this 50, or thousand
0: people. Mm-hmm. Right. you know that are dead right now. Like that, that, that is Rome on fire. So we've had that period now, and and the rebuild's coming. Uh, you know the rebuild period is going to be coming here yeah. in 2021, and it's time to the rebuild train. Right?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's Like, you know, you may not like the chief architect. You might find him to be a boring guy, but the opportunity. Infrastructure here is vast,
2: yeah, yeah. and
0: it, there's much more potential for influence inside than there is now from the outside, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm hoping people recognize that unique opportunity that crisis. Unfortunately, crisis is, you know, it's a terrible thing, but it also presents rebuild opportunity, and it would be just great to blow it. Yeah. And 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 give it away to the Republicans because they're going to rebuild shit and they're in their
2: image. Oh God, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> if
0: you are right, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, it's not an America you're going to want to live in.
1: <laughs> not in the slightest. Do you think part of this has to be? a reprioritization in terms of how we choose presidents, how we choose national leaders, let's say even at the congressional level. If the Trump timeline continues to play out, I see it as a kind of a tangent in the space-time continuum. If it continues to play out, 10 years from now, we're talking about President Tiger King eventually. Maybe not literally that guy from the Tiger King documentary, but it feels like we're off on this skewed tangent where... We're just picking presidents for bullshit reasons rather than, you know, knowledge, experience, having a centered, rational attitude, uh, you know, when it comes to having things like the nuclear codes in their pocket, for God's sake. Do you think Americans need to reprioritize how we choose? And, and if so, does that actually happen? Can it happen in this climate?
0: Well, we're in a much more severe situation than just one. Right. Yeah. I mean, Trump is not a cause. He's a symptom. He's a he's a severe symptom. Yeah. He's like yeah. going from you know a uh, uh, stomach flu to a malignant you know tumor in your lung. <laughs> you know, this you know yeah. definitely not not to be taken lightly because he accelerates so things. I mean, he's it, this man has taken us to the point where armed militias feel emboldened to strap, you know, AKs, you know, or, or AR-15s around themselves.
1: Just amazing. And go
0: hang out, you know, in front of government buildings and terrorize regular people. Because I find that shit disturbing, to be, be honest. Yeah. I think it, it makes me feel nervous and, and afraid, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> which, which I would assume is the point, is to terrorize regular people, Well, right? what
1: makes me nervous and afraid about it, too, on top of, you know, the firearms, is the fact that they're doing it in the name of this cartoon weirdo from New York City. I mean, up until he became president, that's kind of how most of us who, you know, at least uh, those of us who live on the East Coast, recognize Donald Trump. Oh, that cartoon weirdo <laughs> who had, had the failed casinos. That guy? Really? This is the guy that they they're starting to put even like a military layer of radical behavior behind it just seems staggering to me that it's that that is the guy of all people yeah
0: yeah we are in some dangerous shit
1: we are do do (laughs) rachel let me ask you
0: you. we are on fire right
1: yeah Yeah. just, just one last question and thank you so much for your time today does america come back from the trump damage is it possible for us to rebuild after this
0: not if not in a second term. Not I don't think I don't think we can if he if he gets reelected.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: You know I, I don't I don't think so. I think like we are hanging on by a thread. We have a okay. Here's where we are, America. We have a president who has been ruled basically immune from the law. Mm-hmm. Okay, because we can't uh, impeach him. Yep. Uh, unless we control the Senate, and that that's up to you. Okay, mm. you're voting and voting for Democrats and not other people and we can't uh indict him according to the justice department which is controlled by the most dangerous person that's ever held the office
1: yep yep there's our they very Now you
0: tell me right like you tell me what happens if he gets returned to that office yeah for years
2: yeah I, you tell
0: me how many people are going to are going to be um you know what what's going to happen to yeah
1: yeah uh, <laughs> It's, it's not going to be good. No, it's not. And it's too terrifying to even contemplate. And I've been trying to wrap my head around how, how I react on the night of November 3rd if, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, Brian Williams oh, gets yeah, on and ask, says...
0: Yeah, what are you, you going to do if your if your election stuff is wrong? Like I would not give two shits because I'll be much more... Much more terrified, yeah. As to like what's going to happen to my family, mm-hmm. what's going to happen to my neighbors, right? What's going to happen to people who who are uh, with brown skin?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, what's going to happen to this country?
2: Yeah, yeah. What's
0: going to happen to you know I, I, the, the least thing that I would care about on election day, election night, the next day is my own self-interest. I can promise you that.
1: And his supporters don't even care about the possibility of dying for their support for Donald Trump. That's, again, another staggering element that I don't think anyone could have predicted in 2016 or maybe even any point up until just recently that these people would be willing to step into a giant cloud of coronavirus, suck it into their lungs, and say, yay for Donald Trump, Trump 2020, my body, my choice, somehow. It just seems... Yeah. crazy to me.
0: Rachel- well, a lot of these guys you have to keep in mind are, are they don't think there's a real virus. They don't what? think it's, they think the photos of the dead body coming from staged. you know, they thought the Sandy Hook shooting was, stage, so you yeah. got to remember who you're dealing with there. And yeah, that's right. Small groups of, of wing nuts, you
1: know? Well, Rachel, I think you are a super genius, and I'll be following your Twitter account uh, very religiously between now and especially November 3rd, but certainly onward after that, because uh, even November 3rd isn't going to get us through all of this, but it's going to be a big step in the right <laughs> direction. So thank no, you for... it would be
0: a big step in the right direction, and I actually prefer to be called Mad Genius, but Super Genius is fine. <laughs> so. Okay,
1: Mad Genius, Rachel... <laughs> Bit of Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait to talk to you again. All
0: right, thanks for having
1: me. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hold it. Don't nobody move. State's public health departments and businesses are increasingly suggesting, if not requiring, the wearing of face masks. Get with the program. It's the smart practical thing to wear if you have a reason to leave your home. A mask is a responsible way to protect yourself, your family and your community. Our friends at the cleanphone.com now have KN95 masks that are ready to ship. These masks are rated to filter 95% plus and are certified to FFP2 standards. Go to thecleanphone.com and order your 10-pack of KN95 masks today. Add the code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word, to the drop-down box for free shipping. Getting face masks in the hands of as many people as possible is an important next step in living with this virus. Get KN95 masks for you, your family, neighbors, and friends. If you go outside, you should wear a face mask. Go to thecleanphone.com, that's thecleanphone.com, and order your 10-pack of masks today. And for free shipping, remember the code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word, at thecleanphone.com.